Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, March 8th. Indian Wells is underway. We've got day one of the men's singles action, as well as day two of the women's singles action to recap. And joining me today, making his first appearance on the Mini Break podcast, is Cracked Rackets contributor, former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, and of course, the personification of tennis cocaine, Matt Stokowiak. Matt, welcome to the Mini Break podcast. Hey, thanks, Alex. Yeah, man, I'm super stoked to be on the mini break pod for the first time here. So uh, let's get it rolling, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. I haven't had the chance to ask you this, so this is a natural response, listeners. But chances we actually keep a podcast with me and you on it to under 30 minutes. Ooh, that's going to be tough. I don't know, man. We (laughs) we can try it, but I'd uh, I'd have to take the over on that one if I were a betting man. (laughs) No, not a bad bet, certainly. And to our listeners who haven't been listening, obviously, this is our first week doing the mini break. We are so happy to get to our fifth episode of the week on a Friday. This is going to be a Monday through Friday podcast. And if you haven't yet, please listen to our past episodes, subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends any exposure we can get from you fans. We would really appreciate. Uh, Also, of course, if you've missed anything from the tennis world, you want to catch up on anything Indian Wells, anything college tennis, anything at all. Check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. Check out our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know the deal by now. Like, rate, subscribe, review. We want to hear from you. Um, you know, we we created this new podcast. We're trying out a new format. We want to know from you guys, does this work for you? Is this something you're interested in? Is this? Do you want to start your day with these sort of updates? Or, you know, would you like us to change anything moving forward? This is really going to be a fluid project that we will continue to develop as we go, you know, uh, throughout the months in the 2019 season. But enough of that stuff, Matt. As I mentioned, Indian Wells, the first part of the Sunshine Duo, fully underway. We've got a ton of fun tennis to talk about. Before we get into any matches, I just want to ask my first question to you, Matt. Do you consider Indian Wells the closest to a Grand Slam we will get throughout the tennis season? Oh, yeah. a hundred Outside of the Grand Slams, I should say. A hundred percent. I was actually just talking to somebody the other day uh, I can't remember who it was, but I was. Uh, we were talking about that, just how Indian Wells is one of the best events of the entire year. It's basically the fifth slam. I call it the fifth grand slam. Uh, you know, the draws loaded, 128 draw. Everybody plays if they're healthy. Uh, excellent facilities. Uh, all the amenities and and all that stuff are great. So yeah, no, this is absolutely one of my favorite tournaments of the year. Every single year. And. One of the biggest things I've noticed looking through tennis Twitter, just getting glimpses from the reporters, players there, is everyone seems so happy interacting with one another. We've seen so many ATP and WTA players practicing with one another. You know, there's that big soccer field on the grounds. We've seen all of them doing their warm-up runs together. It just really is the pinnacle of tennis, and you know... At a lot of these Masters events, they're not always uh, playing the men's and women's at the same time. They are this week in Indian Wells. And I just think what we continue to see with events like that, with the Grand Slams, is when you have that sort of f- format, it's the most beneficial for our game. Yeah, it's it's so much fun to see you know both the ATP and the WTA Tour come together. Uh, like you mentioned, Alex, the guys and the girls practicing, hanging out, playing some soccer, warming up in the fitness rooms, all that good stuff. It's like a Grand Slam. It really is, and that's why I always get up for Indian Wells every year. 
No, I completely agree with you. And on yesterday's mini break, Max Rothman took the opportunity to break down the men's draw with Kale Hammond, who uh, a member of our team who is on site for the the entirety of the event. Kale was able to provide some excellent insight. So if you want to hear more in depth about that draw, if you want to hear about the women's draw, check out Jamie and I's episode on Wednesday. But Matt, what we're going to be doing today, something I'm really going to enjoy because we don't get to do this as often with the Grand Slams as there are so many matches We're going to be talking about our favorite matches from both the men's and the women's singles draws. Uh, Now, to keep this podcast short, we limited it to five matches, and you know I talk fast naturally. As he's tennis cocaine, Matt is going to talk fast naturally, but we're going to do our best to break down the matches we thought were the most uh, significant thus far. We will, of course, at the end, list all of the winners from days one and two of the event. But Matt, I, I think the match we have to start with a guy who we have seen have success throughout February, one of the young rising talents. And in fact, if I was to remake my prospect list, he is on the precipice of joining Alexander Zverev in that tier one prospect uh in t- category on the ATP. I, of course, am talking about FAA, Felix Ogier Alassim, who takes out Cam Norrie 6-3-6-2 in the first round, continues his success from February. I mean, Matt, I know he's young. I think he's still 18, but just so many ATP quality weapons from this guy already. Oh man, FAA. You gotta love this guy. (laughs) I mean, look, he's younger than everybody else. We always talk about next-gen players, right? Well, Felix is only 18. You're exactly right, Alex. And, you know, this match was a perfect example of the weaponry that he possesses and just the potential that we see out of this guy, uh, you know, whenever he's on TV. So, Just a phenomenal match. He served well. One of the things that I've noticed with Felix is when his serve is on and he's really hitting his spots, the rest of his game seems to follow. You know, I've seen Felix struggle a little bit before. And excuse me, that's when he's not serving well. Uh, But in this match, he served at 80% first serve percentage, uh, a phenomenal statistic. He was the aggressor, uh, you know, from from the ground. Nori, more of just a consistent baseliner, uh, trying to keep rallies go long, and, and Felix was big time. So, yeah, in a Masters 1000 event for an 18-year-old kid, uh, this is it's a big step for him, for sure. And you mentioned his first serve success and how that kind of opens up the rest of the game for him. In this match against Cam Nori, he goes 40 of 50 on the first serve, making 80% of them, wins 80% of his uh, first serve points, only plays 10 second serve points in the match, and wins uh, six of them for 60% conversion rate. Displays maturity by going three of three on break points, you know, taking advantage of all of his opportunities. And, you know, I think I've talked about this on a previous pod, but FAA, given that he's still a little bit smaller in stature, now that's not to say physically he's not physically capable because he still does move really well, but he can be overwhelmed with pace. And unfortunately for Cam Norrie, he's just not the type of guy that's going to do that to his opponent. I think this was just a particularly bad matchup for Cam. And, you know, he makes 66% of his first serves in this match, wins 59% of those first serve points, 57% of his second serve points, things that don't look bad on paper. But for him to go 0 of 2 on break points to not take, uh, I mean, it's a credit to FAA for only hitting 10 second serves in the match. But just, I don't know what Norrie could have done in this match differently to have taken it. Yeah, like you mentioned, it's just it's a game of matchups and this was not a favorable one for Cam. He's he's a counterpuncher. He really is. I mean, he moves well. He's a tricky lefty. He can mix it up with spins and all that good stuff, but 
he struggles to really be the aggressor on the court in, in almost every match on tour. And this was just an example of, of the match being on FAA's racket and he just took full advantage. And again, you know, we have to mention those serving stats because that's huge. I mean, he, he didn't really allow Cam to, to, to sniff his serve at all. And so, you know, credit to FAA, but but yeah, it, it was a good matchup thing. But I like the upsides of both these players. They're both on the rise. Cam's had a great year so far as well. He's coming up. FAA, obviously, at 18 years old. We're going to see so much more of him. Uh, so it, it, it's great. Completely agree with you. We can move on to our next player now. This is another young player who has really had a standout 2019 season. I believe she made the fourth round, maybe the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. And now here in Indian Wells, she gets a first-round win over Alexandra Krunich, 6064. Of, to- of course, I'm talking about the young American, Amanda Anisimova. I mean, she just put together a special returning performance today, Matt. She holds her opponent to only a 48% win percentage on first serves, 48% on second serves, goes 5 of 10 on break points. And to me, that's really what stuck out from her game thus far. These courts in Indian Wells seem to be playing so slow. It's a little bit windy, and it's just really hard to hit through the court. And for Nisimova, the way she's able to take advantage of that first ball, in this instance being her return, I mean, it's special from the 17-year-old. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you mentioned those returning statistics. You know, on the WTA Tour, we tend to see, you know, some stats that are more skewed that way rather than on the men's side. Uh, you know, the women aren't hitting the serves quite as big and all that stuff. So, you know, Krunich doesn't have a huge serve, and Anisimova was really able to take advantage. But for Amanda, I mean, she really does everything well, right? For a 17-year-old, I can't find Special. any obvious weaknesses in her game, can you? I mean, she does everything well. She moves well. She hits ground strokes well. She serves well. Can I, you know, can I give a counterpoint? She doesn't move that well yet. Now, she's so young, and she's not even physically developed yet. Give her two more years to really adjust to the tour. I mean, she can't even play a full tour schedule yet, but I agree with you. Sorry to cut you off. In terms of her skill set, so special. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, just similar to FAA, you know, we're only seeing the very beginning of of Amanda Anisimova. I mean, she's going to be around for a long time, future top 10 player, future top five player easily. Uh, And this was just a a great match to start off with. She cruised in the first set. Second set got a little bit tricky. Krunich came back and, and put some pressure on Anisimova. But at the end of the day, you know, again, this was a match that was going to be on her racket, and and she took care of business. So great to see. Uh, yeah, I think you said it all. Let's move on to our next match. This, of course, um, two guys I got the opportunity to see play in Stowe, Vermont this past year as Yoshihito Nishioka took out Dennis Kudla, 3-6-6-3-6-2. For people who don't know about Nishioka, the young Japanese player, suffered a torn ACL in Miami. I believe it was two years ago, and now he has worked his way up all the way back into the top 70. Obviously, he gets a win here over Kudla. I mean... Matt, in this match, neither of these guys are big hitters, right? Both of them under six feet. It was really a grinded out type of match. And when you're playing on a slow court in windy conditions, it really comes down to physically, you know, who is locked in, who is going to make you hit that extra ball every single point, who's not just going to slap a ball into the wind. And 
I mean, if there's anything you have to appreciate about Yoshihito Nishioka, it's the discipline. It's the fact that he does track everything down. And I mean, I just continue to be impressed by him despite his physical limitations. He's a guy who you just, you have to think, wow, that's a tough out. Oh, without question. And it's funny when I watch him play, I find myself scratching my head, you know, more often than not because I'm like, man, this guy should not be able to play at this level, you know, at a top 70 (laughs) in the world level, you know, like you mentioned with his physical limitations, but he just finds a way to put every single ball back in the court. And for, for Kula, I mean, I'm sure it's disappointing. This was a match that when he looked at the draw, you know that he was excited for this one because Nishioka is a player that Dennis Kula can definitely beat. And he looked. Can I add on to that real quick? You you talk even more specifically. Talk about a matchup that you have to like if you're Kudla. This is a lefty hitting into your preferred side in the backhand. You get to work your backhand down the line, play those type of pattern games. I agree with you. On paper, this is the matchup Kudla had to have wanted. Yes, exactly. And he came out playing well in that first set too. They were having long grinding points. But Dennis just looked a little bit stronger. He was getting the better of Nishioka and then... You know, it flipped, you know, Yoshi went into just that absolute, I'm going to put every single ball back in the court mode. And Dennis saw his errors creep up a little bit as that second set kind of wore down and then into the third set. So, you know, again, credit to Nishioka. He's a good player. I don't know how much more I'd expect of him, you know, throughout the rest of this tournament. I'm not quite sure who's up next for him, uh, but you know, for Kudla, I always look at the Americans, as always. And, you know, for me, this was just, it was an opportunity that Dennis Kudla had, and, and he didn't quite seize it. So that's disappointing, but uh, we'll see how it goes next round. The thing I have to circle for Kudla before we move on, the difference in this match, and you look at the total points one, Nishioka wins 85, Kudla 73. So a 12-point gap, not that big, but you look at the disparity in second serve points one, you know, Yoshihiro Nishioka only wins one more second serve point than Dennis Kudla, going 15 of 28 versus Kudla's 14 of 34. But you look at that difference there, 14 of 34, only a 41% conversion rate for Dennis Kudla on those second serve points. I'm not going to say, you know, he was struggling in the wind because all of these professional players have played in the wind before, but Kudla's second serve was just sitting up. And if you're not attacking Yoshi, if you're left Letting Yoshi, you know, play his first ball uh, with that forehand cross court, really yank you off the court. You are in trouble. And yeah, I just, I don't think Kudla had enough weapons in the end, uh, or at least just today, the patterns weren't working in his favor. And given how close and level everyone is, yeah, just Yoshi, it was too much for me. You know, he couldn't take the, uh, take the ball off of Yoshi's racket and just didn't have enough to move on. But... Let's talk about a player who did get a little bit of revenge uh, this week. We're talking, of course, about Sophia Kennan, who had a rematch of her title the week before uh, with Wang in her first-round encounter, and Kennan ends up winning this time in Indian Wells, 1-6-7-5-6-4. You know, Kennan is a player, I, I believe she's only 21, 22 years old, another young American talent on the WTA side, and just, she may not have the most firepower, but the way she was able to work Wang off the court work into the outer thirds, use the wind against Wang, and kind of play to the elements. I was so impressed by Kennan's game, Matt. Definitely, but for me, this match was was odd. Crazy. It, it was yeah. it was bizarre because there were so many ups and downs and, and swings and momentum. And 
you know, I was just, I was really captivated by watching this match. I had to watch the whole thing just because I didn't know what was going to happen next. I thought, you know, after that first set, Kennan was not looking good. It almost looked like she didn't even want to be out there, but she has a way of just fighting back. And I feel like a lot of times she plays her best tennis when she's down in the score. And that happens for some players, but like you mentioned, I mean, Kennan's young and she has a, a great skill set. I mean, I like what I see in her game. Wang is another player that is tough. She's going to put a lot of balls back in play. And Kennan was definitely the aggressor. I mean, again, we talk about these matches being on certain players' rackets, but really that's how it goes a lot of times. You know, players are aggressive and other players are looking to counterpunch. And Kennan was the aggressor here. And it ended up working out for her. Uh, both players uh, had to deal with some fatigue and injuries. You mentioned they were coming off that Acapulco final where they played each other and Wang actually won that one. Uh, but, you know, I think Kennan is in a Masters 1000 or uh, women's WTA premier event on the women's side. It, it was an important win for her to come back and, and beat her like that in the first round. So definitely big time. The things that really worry me for Kennan, she hits three aces against eight double faults. You know, she makes 67% of her first serves, wins 62% of those points, but she goes 13 of 38 on her second serve points, winning only 34% of that. In this match in total, there were 31 breakpoint opportunities. Kennan goes 5 of 15. Wang goes 6 of 16, and then in terms of total points won, you know, Kennan won 104 to Wang's 109, so just... You worry about Kennan being attacked at the same time, given how slowly these courts are playing, Matt. You know, you look at her game, her resilience, the fact that it's really hard to, you know, hit her off the court because she's going to track so many things down, play some funky angles and funky spins against you, versus Anisimova, who can hit any opponent she plays off of the court. You know, not trying to pit them against one another, but who do you see as having a better chance to go further in this tournament? What does the draw look like? I'm glad you asked. For for Nisimova, I believe she matches up with Svidal, uh, with Mertens uh, next, the number 16 seed. For Kennan, she's got Svitolina, the number 6 seed. So both are going to be tested pretty early on. They are, yeah. That's tough for both players. Uh, but I'd take Anisimova. I mean, I think she— I knew you were going to yeah, say that. I just, I, for me, I, I like her game a little bit better. She's definitely younger, too. Uh, so there's more— you know, I don't want to say more room for growth, but she still has to mature a little bit yet. Kennan, uh, Kennan's what, 20, 21 years old? Um, so, yeah, no, I like Anna Samova over Mertens possibly. For Kennan over Svitolina, I think that's a tough matchup because Svitolina is going to put a lot of balls back in the court too. Kennan's really going to have to be on if she wants to win that one. Sophia Kennan, born November 14th, 1998. I don't feel old often, but that she's having this much success and she was born three years after me is just devastating. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but we can move on there. Talk about another guy who, uh, kind of a late bloomer, you could say. This is his first Masters appearance in his career. He comes through qualifying uh, despite having, you know, one of the most successful seasons in 2019 of his career. Of course, I'm talking about Marcos Giron, who upsets Jeremy Chardy 7-6-7-6, gets the first win of his career at a Masters event. I believe this will jump him right around the 150 range in the ATP rankings, and just, I mean... Matt, if there's any testament that says playing the Challenger Tour, having success there during the season can build your confidence, Marcos Giron is the test case for why Challengers work. 
Yeah, definitely. Hasn't he won like 15 challenger matches this year already? Or so, 15 and 5 on the season. 15 and 5 on the season, but one Orlando. One Orlando, yep. But I'll tell you what, Alex, those matches don't compare anything to this victory over Shardy in a Masters 1000 event. I mean, this is huge. This is the biggest win of his career by far. Shardy, obviously a veteran player who's been around a while, uh, you know, knows he knows how to win matches like this. You know, we look at two tiebreakers, 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six. You would think that Shardy would have the edge just from experience alone, but Marco Scurone, man, comes through the 2014 NCAA singles champ. Uh, hopefully now, I mean, you said he's up to about 150 in the world. He can get into some more of these events and show off what he's got because I like his game as well. He's one of these guys. He's not a huge guy, but he just plays solid all around. Every part of his game is pretty good. And he's dealt with injuries. He's coming off injuries. Uh, but, man, this was this was a great match to tough out two tiebreakers against Jeremy Shardy. Phenomenal result. Very happy for him. I mean, I often applaud Daniel Westoff on this uh, podcast, but I need an, a super applause for him now because Westoff wisely, you know, I kept bothering him. I had the chance to interview Marcos when he was playing the Cleveland Challenger, and we were down there, and... Uh, of course, Westoff hadn't edited it and released it. You know, I think the Cleveland Challenger was about a month ago, but he releases it today, the day that Marcos gets his first win at a Masters event. So, Westoff, great job by you. Cue the applause. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. This guy has weapons. You know, he's not the biggest player, but the way he's able to penetrate the court on both the forehand and the backhand side, he takes balls early. He takes them on the rise. He cuts off your time, does a lot of things well. You know, he moves pretty solidly, knows when to move forward in his match here. You know, only makes 54% of his first serves, but wins 80% of those points, protects his second serve well, winning 61% of those points, attacks the Shardy's second serve, limiting him to only a 42% conversion right there there's a lot to like about Marcos Giron's game and I know he's 25 26 years old but still you know Matt would it shock you to see him qualify for a Grand Slam this year oh no definitely not I think he could easily do it Uh, as long as he's healthy uh, I could easily see him qualifying for a Grand Slam and we talk about it a lot those second serve point statistics oftentimes almost every time actually decide matches and you know that's where this one was won uh what i'd like to see from marcos though going forward you mentioned that 54% first serve percentage i think as he steps up to the atp tour level you know from the challenger level that first serve percentage is going to have to get higher because he's going to be playing better returners and if he wants to win He's going to have to up that percentage a little bit. Uh, But no, to your question, I could easily see him qualifying. I wouldn't be shocked if he qualified for the French, Wimbledon. Yeah, no, he's got the game for it. And I think he's got the right mindset for it too. You know, 25 years old, that's young these days, right? I mean, how many how many guys are we seeing playing into their 30s? You know, Ivo Karlovic is 40. We'll get to that segment a little bit later. Um, But man... 25 years old is nothing. So he's going to be around as long as he can stay healthy. I think that's completely fair. And one other point I want to mention real quick about Giron, and then we can move on because we are hovering ever so close to that 30-minute mark, Matt. But 
you know, the week before, he loses first round of the Indian Wells Challenger to Chris Eubanks, but he goes on with J.C. Aragoni to win the doubles title there. You just have to wonder, getting a week to play practice on those Indian Wells courts, it had to have been, been beneficial for Marcos. He had gotten accustomed to the wind, accustomed to the weather, just accustomed to the way the courts play, and you see it bear fruit here. So shout out to Indian Wells for having that challenger event, offering wild cards and, you know, making this sort of run not necessarily possible. Of course, all the credit goes to Marcos Giron, but putting these players in the best position to succeed because it's always fun when you can have breakthroughs from guys, you know, who are 25, 26, who have been struggling on the, cha- or not struggling, but fighting on the challenger circuit so long to have this type of opportunity. And it's just great to see it finally bear fruition. All right, Matt, those are our only match breakdowns uh, from the first two rounds. Obviously, there were a ton of other results, and I want to run through all of the winners for our listeners right now. Can you take us through all of our winners from Wednesday's uh, first round action out from the women's side? Yeah, so we've got Lynette in three sets, Kanta in two sets, Davis in two sets, Gavrilova in three, Brady in two sets, Maria in two sets, Vondrasova in two sets, Zhang in two, Kozlova in two, and then Streetsova in two sets. Excellent pronunciation from you. I'm going to run through women, uh, the women's winners from Thursday. We've got Van Utvenik. I did not get that right. Alexandrova, uh, Brangle, Dwa or Doi, Venus Williams, Bartel or Barthol, Knappi, Tamjanovic, Vik Janseva, Putin Seva, and of course, Kiki, do you love me, Meldenovic, all winners from <laughs> the women's side. And on the men's side yesterday, we have Philip Kolsch, or sorry, from today, I should say. Hey, Westoff, give me a rewind track here. Our, our women's winners from today, our women's winners, give me another rewind, please. The double rewind, I like it. Our men's winners from today, we have um, Philip Kohlschreiber winning in straight sets. Sam Query wins in a, in three sets. Jordan Thompson wins in three sets. Albert Ramos Vinolas wins in two sets. Martin Kleson wins in two sets. Guido Andrazi wins in two sets. I believe Bjorn Fertangelo just got off court and ended up beating Yimmer um, in three sets. He did. Way to go, Bjorn. And the final match I want to talk about right now. Uh, Ivo Karlovic defeats Matthew Ebden 7-6, 7-6. Karlovic becomes the oldest player to have won an ATP Masters 1000 main draw match, passing Jimmy Connors, who won a match at the 1992 Miami Open while at 39 years old in six months, and Tommy Haas, who won a match at the 2017 Rome Masters at 39 years in one month. We should say, this is a record Roger Federer is probably going to own at some point, right? Who retires first, Federer or Brady? Ooh. <laughs> I hope Brady. I not to take away or Karlovich. Throw Karlovich in there. Why won't he keep playing? I hope Brady retires before them all. <laughs> I hope he retires tomorrow. <laughs> uh, that's that's not a bad answer. I, the, your inner Packers fan is really showing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we should mention. The matches that we aren't going to get to talk about today, but that are still on play uh, on Thursday: Opelka versus Leonardo Mayer, Bradley Klon versus Malik Jaziri. Gunaswarian pair, although that may have finished. That one's finished. May have. Yep. Gunaswarian took the win there. He did. Straight sets. I watched Bernard Pair hit the funkiest backhand <laughs> lob in that match in the tiebreaker. I saw that. Of course. Yeah, I saw it that. Just, it, it means nothing, of course. Um, 
Milman versus Struff. Martyr was on the precipice of beating Umbert. I don't know if he did that yet. We managed uh, mentioned Fertangelo beat Yimmer. Puig, I believe, has beaten Rodina, but that match might still be going on. Pagula is playing Diaz. Townsend won the first set against Bonaventure. Mikhail is playing uh, Sakari, and Bouchard is playing Flipkins. I'll say this about Indian Wells. They did a great job scheduling Americans at the end of the day. I mean, a great job. That's very biased as an American who would want to see Americans in the primetime match. But shout out to Indian Wells for taking advantage of that that dynamic as well. Uh, before we preview our weekend, though, Matt, any final thoughts on the first two days play? No, not much else. I mean, great first couple days, and now we'll, we'll get to see the seeds come into play here the next couple of days. So that should definitely be, uh, you know, as exciting, if not even a little bit more exciting, now that we're going to have 32 players on both the men's and women's side entering. Well, that's a perfect segue. Let's finish uh, talking about Indian Wells with a little weekend preview. Uh, Fun fact for you, Matt, Indian Wells is the first Masters event since Indian Wells 2017 that features Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. A little trivia for you real quick. We don't have to do the full sound effect, but Roger Federer leads the field with his 130th appearance in a Masters main draw. He's actually tied for the lead with one other player. My question to you, Matt, can you guess the player he's tied with? I'm going to go with... And I'll know if you cheated, because this is a small font, but it's very readable. I'm going to go with Feliciano Lopez. You're a cheater, and I'm 100% <laughs> sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct, though. No, that that's Felice. a good one, though, honestly. That's that's a great trivia question right there. I mean, <laughs> Lopez seems like he's been around for 50 years, man, since before I was born. I don't know. It's crazy, but... Uh, shout out to Feliciano Lopez. <laughs> I'm going to make a little note to myself. Font has to be smaller than four <laughs> to prevent Matt from cheating. Okay, yeah. And just some fun fact for you. Burdich third on that list, 119. Nadal fourth, 113th appearance. Djokovic fifth, 107th. But yeah, pretty cool for Feliciano Lopez and him and Federer. I mean, obviously he hasn't had the success of Federer, but you take 133 first-round ma- main draw losses at Masters and you still have a nice chunk of change in your bank account. So shout out to Feliciano Lopez for cashing those checks and, you know, keep showing up year in, year out. But I want to talk about the best matches projecting for this weekend to any listeners who's listening to this and think, oh, what should I be on the lookout for this weekend? You know, first round matches still to be played tomorrow. Taylor Fritz versus Steve Johnson on the men's side. Francis Tiafo versus Nicolas Jari, uh, also a first round match. Those are the only two I have highlighted. Am I missing any other first round ma- matches, Ma- uh, Max? Matt, or do you want to talk about the second round stuff? Man, I got one second round match, and I know you know what it is. Just, I've got it circled. It's a must see. I don't care what I'm doing. I will be watching this match. It's too good. What? Which one is it? FAA versus Tsitsipas. That's got Match the Koyak written all over. Absolutely. I'm gonna be glued. (laughs) I'm gonna be glued to the TV, man. That's gonna be phenomenal stuff. See, my counterpoint would be, yes, that's the that's the cliche everyone's watching, Madge. If you're hot on tennis Twitter, oh, I know Tsitsipas, he's young and good. Oh, I know FAA, I've heard he's young and good. Maybe if I tell my friends I'm watching these two young studs, they'll think I know a lot about tennis. And like, no, I'm sorry, that's actually the, the cliche matchup. The one the real nerds are going to be on, I want Marcos Giron, Alex Dimenauer. If I'm a challenger player, or challenger player, if I'm someone who has played predominantly on the challenger, Challenger Tour, and I match up with Alex Dimenauer. Now, he has the speed, he has the athleticism, he has the discipline of a top 30 player, 
but he's also 20 years old physically. And for Marcos Giron to get that matchup, a guy who's not going to blast him off the court, a guy who, if Marcos plays disciplined tennis, he'll have his chances against Dimenauer to at least, you know, try and penetrate the court. It's just going to be interesting to see where Giron's level stacks up if he can ride this hot streak. I'm also fascinated by the Tiafo Jerry winner going up against Kyle Edmund. Edmund, another guy like Giron, played the Indian Wells Challenger last week, has gotten accustomed to these Indian Wells courts, has had a terrible year on the ATP Tour in 2019 thus far, but has a chance really to, you know, get some wins under his belt here, kind of redefine his early 2019. So those are the main men's matches I was going to be watch. I'll be watching for this weekend. Of course, there's a ton of other great matchups and be sure to check out our coverage all weekend long. Be sure if you have Tennis Channel, follow us on Tennis Twitter for more immediate updates because you're not going to want to miss out on this tennis. But Mac, any women's matches you'll be watching for? Well, I'm definitely interested in those two matches we discussed earlier. Uh, the young Americans, Kennan against Fidelina, and then hopefully uh, Anna Samova and uh, Mertens. I think those are going to be hopefully good matches, and maybe one of them can pull an upset. What do we have, a 50-50 shot there? One of them can get through. Uh, so I'll definitely be having my eyes on those two, for sure. 50-50 I, is a little strong. Uh, maybe, but... I guess that goes to show you how high I am on Anna Samova then. Uh, (laughs) But no, the the Serena-Azarenka match, that one, look, I've seen that match before. I I could take that one or leave it, to be honest. I'm interested in those other ones more so than that one. Kvitova Venus should steal some headlines. The obvious one, Williams as Ranka. That's everyone's going to be watching that. That may even be a primetime ABC ESPN match for all I know. Could get the bump up. Um... Yeah, you mentioned Kenan Anisimova, Osaka versus my girl Kiki. That's also good. Danielle Collins, so many points to defend. She plays first-round winner of Flipkins-Bouchard, who's playing right now. Again, a lot of good tennis matches. One could argue that a Masters slash Premier event actually gives you better tennis early on than a Grand Slam because there's a ranking cutoff because it's not 128, but the draws are even that much more narrow. So there's a ton of good tennis to watch this weekend, and we hope you uh, listeners will be paying attention because we don't want you to miss out on any of the action. A couple more notes from Indian Wells, and then we will do our final roundup of the weekend, Matt, I promise. But just so you know... Kareno Busta out, Dimitrov out, Andre Rublev in as a lucky loser, Ricardo Barankis in as a lucky loser. And then one other thing we've kind of highlighted a little bit uh, throughout, but you know, if you listen to yesterday's podcast, Kale Hammond, one of our Cracked Rackets contributors on site for Indian Wells, again mentioned how slow uh, these courts are, how windy it is right now in Indian Wells. And I just want to ask you, uh, Matt, on this final note, you think that's going to be a factor this weekend? You think I mean, obviously it's a factor, but I guess what I'm asking is to what extent do you think the slow courts will play a role in some of the results we see this weekend? Well, I think it's definitely going to be a factor. You know, a guy like Rafa, I think, is really going to thrive on these kind of courts. And, you know, on TV, when the courts look that slow when you're watching on TV, that's how you know that they're really, really playing slow. Uh, So, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that, you know, we can't overlook that fact And then so far the wind, you know, I don't know if that's going to die down at all throughout the weekend and next week, but that's certainly been a factor. I mean, I've seen players hitting balls just straight down the middle, lots of top spin. They don't want to take chances near the lines. So, you know, so far Mother Nature's had a bit of an impact on the tournament. We'll see if that continues. Oh, I, I completely agree with everything you said. Um, 
It'd be nice. You know, everyone seems to love this event because you're out in California. You've got the beaches. You've got the sunshine. But you've clearly also got a lot of wind. So it will be interesting to see how the players adapt to that. I saw on the practice court earlier, or I saw a Twitter video, Roger Federer was taking returns at the fence. Obviously, that's never something you see from him. Now, whether he was just screwing around because it was a practice or whether he was actually practicing something for the event... You know, I would like to say it's the latter. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I agree with you. These courts are definitely going to play a role in the results we see this weekend. Um, but I, I want to do a final roundup before we go, since this will be our last week uh, episode of before next week, I guess. Sorry for that mouthful. We're at the 35-minute mark. We're way over. I'm feeling the pressure. I just don't want to surpass Rothman's mark. So I'm going to get through this really quickly. Uh, big storyline coming out of today from Indian Wells. ATP Executive Chairman and President Chris Kermode's contract will not be extended and will expire at the end of 2019. Kermode has been the President and cha- Executive Chairman of the ATP since 2014. Under his watch, the ATP has seen record prize money and commercial growth. It's seen attendance and viewership soar. Um, and, of course, Kermode is instrumental in helping create new events such as the Next Gen Finals the, and the ATP Cup, which starts next year in Australia. He's also formed an extensive relationship with Emirates, who is a major sponsor for a ton of ATP events. Now, of course, the weaknesses, part of the reason he, he lost his position here, uh, the transition tour rollout was a complete <laughs> up. I mean, he really... Really, really screwed that up, and that's been well documented. We don't need to go over it here. I know you have some alternative thoughts, uh, Stokoyak, but we'll save those for GSP. The point being, he's been taking a lot of heat for that. The other thing, a, a lingering issue on the ATP, and something that will probably continue, the pay disparity between Futures Challengers and the ATP Tour. You know, pay at the Australian Open has gone up 30% over the past four years. Pay on the Challengers and Futures Tour obviously has not. So there, there's a lot of strengths and weaknesses I guess seeing that his contract isn't being renewed Stokoek what is your first reaction to that news um you know I really haven't thought about it too much yet um you know we'll see if if anything is to come of it I mean right off the bat I saw it I saw the news and I just I kind of took it with a grain of salt I mean We'll see. I don't think either way, you know, I don't think it's going to be the worst thing in the world. I don't think it's, you know, the greatest thing in the world that he doesn't have his contract renewed. I mean, you know, it is what it is. For me, I could take it or leave it. All right. Uh, I mean, there's a lot more we should say about this. The fact, whatever role Justin Gimmelstab has had in this process, he's obviously still on the ATP Players Board, despite the ongoing litigation with him. And we're not making presumptions about whether he's innocent, whether he's guilty, but the lack of transparency about this process. I want to know who was saying what. You know, as fans, we deserve to know why. Why is a guy who's raising revenue as high as he is getting axed? You know, so quickly without even a second thought. I mean, I suppose there were second thoughts, but the point is. I want a transparent process, and until we get that, you know, this is going to be a lingering question surrounding the ATP. Uh, on the flip side, let's get to some good news. You know this will make me happy, Stokowiak. Andy Murray says he's pain-free and looking for a comeback this season. Obviously, he's circling Wimbledon as he wants to play that one more time in his career. Now, I am not going to make any predictions, any presumptions, any anything. All I'm going to say is I am 
thrilled to hear that he is feeling better. Uh, that's obviously huge news for this Murray fanatic. And then our final thing, I want to leave a thought with you guys in Stokoyak. I want your thoughts on this as well, and then we'll wrap up. World Team Tennis, that's the team events that cycle through the U.S. Uh, in the summertime around the U.S. Open Series. They are adding franchises in Las Vegas, in Orlando, joining teams in New York, Orange County, Philadelphia, San Diego, Springfield, and Washington, D.C. Matt, we are that much closer to my dream of the NFL equivalent in tennis. This is good news, right, for all of us team tennis fans out there? Yeah, it's great news. I love world team tennis. Uh, you know, it's a fun, competitive team type of tennis. And yeah, Vegas and Orlando, I think those are great locations because the fans are going to show up there uh, for sure. You know, you mentioned all those other locations. Fans really love coming out to watch some world team tennis. I think this is a great addition. Ah, I, I completely agree with you. Well, then let's leave it there. Any final thoughts from you uh, on this mini break going into the first weekend at Indian Wells? It's been good so far, man, but it's only heating up. Everybody's got to keep watching. We're going to get some good matches. I'm ready to roll. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Well, then, a shout-out to our super producers, Daniel Westoff and Max Fliegner, who have a f*** of any job to do, as always. They really killed it this week, getting these uh, mini-breaks out to you guys by 8 a.m. And, again, this is what we're going to try and be doing uh, not only this week, but for the rest of the weeks in the 2019 season. We want this mini-break podcast to work. We want to be able to provide you listeners with your daily updates to help you follow not only the big events like Indian Wells, but later on when we get to challenger events, when we have uh, tournaments in Belgium, in Brazil, in Dallas, Texas at the same time, be able to get information about those to you guys. And we look forward to doing this mini break podcast uh, moving forward. We also ask, of course, rate, subscribe, listen, review, share with your friends this podcast as well as our other podcasts, Great Shot Podcast and the Crack Interviews Podcast. Check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, if you've missed anything in the tennis world. If you want more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, you know the deal. I love being reached out to. A good gif will get me laughing like no other. Plus, I want to know, do you think Kiki Do You Love Me Meldinovich is a funny joke? If yes, let me know. If not, let me know. But on that note, you know, for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, for our entire team at Cracked Rackets, and for Tennis Cocaine himself, Matt Stokowiak, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Matt, what do we say to our fans? That's a break. <laughs> I love it. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.